sorry. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> now it is. Um, we're going to be talking a lot about community and relationships, as we'll get to it in a minute. And they're talking about how to study the Bible. But all of these things work together for the ultimate end of Christ being formed in us. Not just as individual people, but as a community, as a group of people. Hey, welcome. Glad you're here. You're just in time. We're just getting started. Not at all. Hey, there's never too late. Like, the, you're only too late if you miss the closing prayer. Like that's, uh, that's too late. <laughs> Anything else is perfect. What's that? Yeah. So our class, as you see, we're, we've called the koinonia class. If you, I don't know if you're familiar with the word koinonia, but koinonia is a Greek word that's used a lot in the New Testament. It basically means fellowship. Although fellowship itself is a word that we have lots of definitions for. What koinonia really gets at is a sharing of lives. It's not only, hey, how's it going, but it is sharing our lives together, our joys, our pains, our doubts, our vulnerabilities, our excitements, and experiences of our life. And we do that together, following Jesus together. So this is the Koinonia class, and this morning we are going to begin a 12-week lesson series that I've entitled Life Together in the Kingdom of Love. Because what we see throughout the scripture is the most important thing, the goal of all of our study, the goal of all of our learning and our formation is ultimately that we would love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength, that we would love our neighbors as ourselves, and that we would follow Jesus' new commandment that he gave his disciples, that we would love each other as he has loved us. So basically, our class as we have envisioned it, we've been planning and been excited for a long time, but the goal of our time that we're going to spend here and indefinitely in the future is that this would basically be like a little school of love where we learn not only what the scripture teaches us about love, but we actually study some practical wisdom and resources to learn what it means not just to say to one another, hey, it's good that we love each other, but to actually learn what that means. What does it look like in real life for me to love you and for you to love me and for us to love each other in community? What does that look like? So the truth is that the true school of love is life itself. It's not in a classroom, but hopefully we learn and encourage and exhort one another in a classroom setting. We learn some helpful tools and we study the scripture together, but ultimately, this is preparation for the real school of love, which is the real life, actual relationships that we have outside of this building, outside of Sunday mornings. And so we want to do our best, and this is my wife Kimberly, by the way, if you haven't met her, AKA Kimmy, and she's gonna be chiming in as we go. Um, but our hope is that we, as we study these things together, can grow in our love for one another and on our love for the world that God so loves. So we're going to begin this morning uh, with just a little prayer, um, a couple of little prayers actually, and we're going to do maybe a little bit different than the kind of uh, prayer that you're used to. We're going to do a little call and response thing. So you probably, I'm sure you're smart and you figure this out, but <laughs> where it says leader, that's the part I'm going to read. And where it says all, that's the part we're all going to read. So we, <laughs> all right. 
So, but before we pray, let's just take a minute just to calm ourselves, to quiet our hearts. Um, We've all got a lot of things going on, maybe even had a lot of things going on this morning before we walked in these doors, but we know that God is present by his spirit, that he loves us, and that he has committed himself to us. So let's just pause for a moment, quiet our hearts before him. let's pray. O Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you as the day rises to meet the sun. Glory Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our psalm this morning is Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Creator of the universe who made us different from one another in myriad ways we can see and in more ways we shall never know, yet made us all in your image. Fill our hearts with your love and our minds with your wisdom, that we may truly become brothers and sisters of your only Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And now let us pray together as Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so like I said, we're beginning a 12-week series this, this morning called Life Together in the Kingdom of Love. We're going to be exploring different foundations and principles and practices of Christian community, but also very practical aspects of building healthy, life-giving relationships. Things like how to really listen, not just wait for your turn to talk. How to express empathy with other people. We're going to talk about conflict resolution and peacemaking. We're going to talk about forgiveness. We're going to talk about humility and serving one another as Jesus has served us. And we're going to talk about what it looks like not only to exist as a community for each other, but that's open for the sake of the world around us. And a bunch of other stuff, too. So this morning, our lesson that we, and I should say throughout our series, we're going to have two helpful guides, uh, one of which is no longer alive and one of which is still alive. A German pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you've probably heard of him before. He wrote a book called Life Together, which we're going to be drawing a lot up from in this class and in this lesson series in particular. Um, And also a man named Jean Vanier, which you probably have never heard of. Jean Vanier started a series of communities that are called the Larche Communities. Um, And Larche is French, it means the Ark. These are places where people live in intentional community, people with mental disabilities and those without mental disabilities living together in community. So he is just a treasure of wisdom for community and relationships, not just idealism, 
but the hard stuff of practically living together. So just as a heads up, these are going to be a couple of our guides throughout this, this lesson series. Our introductory lesson this morning, I've entitled The Gift, The Challenge, and The Chother. So y- there, there is no way you would possibly know what in the world the chother is. You will before you leave, but you're going to have to wait till the end to find out. So in the beginning of the Bible, in the first couple chapters of the scripture, in Genesis, in the creation narrative, God says, it is not good for man to be alone. Now in that context, as you probably know, he's talking about Adam and Eve. You know, He's looking at Adam and he's saying, hey, this guy, Lone Ranger flying solo, is not a good idea. I need... <laughs> He needs somebody, you know. He's going to be in trouble if he doesn't have somebody. But I think that this principle of it's not good for a person to be alone is not just about marriage and marriage relationships. It points to a reality that all of us need each other, that all of us need other people, not just our family, but friends. Friends in a community that come alongside us and bear our burdens with us. There is an Irish proverb that I love. It says, in the shel- it is in the shelter of each other that the people live. It's in the shelter of each other that the people live. Now, our modern Western society, and I'm going to be speaking in a little bit of broad general terms here, but I think you'll resonate with this. Our modern Western society, particularly in the United States, even more particularly in the South, and perhaps even more particularly in Texas, emphasizes rugged individualism. Like you are your own person, your destiny is up to you to put, you've heard it, to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, as you could say. And we are, like independence is an important thing. That we are able to stand on our own is an important thing, but we can never go through life alone. And so right out of the bat, to acknowledge that we need each other, that our lives are incomplete without other people, is bumping up against a little bit of the current that surrounds us, that pushes us toward isolation. There's a lot of reasons for that, which we'll get into in a minute. And this bleeds over into the way that we do Christianity, that we express and experience our faith. Has anybody ever heard of an old Christian singing group called Second Chapter of Acts? Anybody? They were from, you know, this is probably at least 30 years ago. They may be still doing music now, I don't know. But they had a song called Me and Jesus. Has anybody ever heard Me and Jesus by Second Chapter of Acts? The the, the words of the chorus say, Me and Jesus, we got our own thing going. We don't need anyone to tell us what it's all about. It's a cool song. And there's something very beautiful and valuable about you having a personal relationship with God. Jesus calls us to discipleship as individuals, exactly as we're wired, as he has gifted us, And so so you could say the individuality of faith and Christianity is very important, but it's not enough to just have me and Jesus having our own thing going. 
me and you and Jesus. We got to have our thing going together. And maybe you've heard this phrase in a worship service. Don't pay any attention to the person on your left or the person on your right. You just close your eyes and focus on Jesus. And I should say, there are moments when that's really good because God may be convicting you. He may be dealing with something in your life that is very personal, that you got to work out between you and him before it goes beyond that. But our experience of faith is together. When we gather in a few minutes in worship, we're not just a group of individuals putting blinders on, only worshiping God as individuals. We're a family coming together to celebrate what God has done in us and through us together and the relationships that we have together that we share. We need each other. We need each other in life and we need each other in faith. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10 says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up the other. But woe to one who is alone and falls and does not have another to help. Woe to one who falls and is alone and does not have another to help. Honestly, the truth of it is, sometimes, even when we're surrounded by people, we feel alone. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt alone in a group? I know I have, and I feel isolated for whatever reason. Maybe it's the things I'm struggling with. Maybe it's my own understanding of my failures, which are many, my mistakes, which are many. Um, Maybe it's just I'm in a bad mood that day. I had a bad day, and I'm just like, nobody understands me. You know, and so I isolate myself even in a group. But we need each other. I'm going to say that over and over again. We really do. Relationships with brothers and sisters in the body of Christ is not just a luxury. It's a necessity. So the New Testament really presupposes this. It doesn't, contrary to what you may have heard, the New Testament itself does not so much speak about personal spirituality, even though that's part of it, but it speaks of a common faith and a common life. Listen to this description of the church from Acts 2, which is very idealistic. I'll just say it across the board, so it ain't easy. But listen to this beautiful image. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Beautiful image of people in unity. The psalm we read, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. The majority of the New Testament, if well in quantity of books at least, is the letters that Paul and John and Peter and others wrote. The epistles, and these epistles aren't written to individuals. They're written to churches. They're written to communities of faith. And they were read to communities of faith. These letters are filled with what have been called the one another's or each other's of the New Testament. Things like love one another. See if these ring a bell. Live in harmony with one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Submit to one another. Build each other up. 
Show hospitality to each other. Confess your sins to one another. And in the New Testament, the work that God is doing in the hearts of his people and in the world is often spoken of in the context of a community, of a group of people. You'll recognize these two verses more than likely. The first one is Galatians 4.19, where Paul is expressing his heart to the Galatian church. He says, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth. It's a pretty powerful metaphor. Until Christ is formed in you. I would, I think it's a better translation of that to read, and we'll make it Texas style. And I labor as a, as a woman in childbirth until Christ is formed in y'all. <laughs> or Colossians 1.27 where Paul says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, y'all, the hope of glory. Christ in y'all. In a unified community of Jews and Gentiles and rich and poor, a family of every nation, tribe, and language gathered together in God's Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. As a witness, Paul says elsewhere, to the principalities and powers, but also as a city on a hill, shining as a light for the world to see. Loving each other as Christ has loved us. That's the kind of community we're talking about. When we talk about life together in the kingdom of love, that is the vision. And it's an idealistic vision. But it's a vision that the Lord has given us to live into. However imperfectly and brokenly we may do it, we, we continue and we press in. So this community, and I'm going to be using the terms church and community pretty synonymously throughout this lesson series. Because, and here's why, because oftentimes, like when you hear the word church, what's the first thing that pops into your head? Church. Anything? Preaching. Okay, preaching, all right, like we're going to go to church, we're going to have church, we're going to have preaching, we're going to have singing, and that's good. I usually think of a building, you know, hey, I'm going to go up to the church, I got some, some work I got to do up at the church. And uh, those things are good, but ultimately, the word church that's used in the New Testament is the Greek word ekklesia, which means called out ones. Church is not a building. Church is not a worship service, even though those are things, obviously, that are very integral to the life of the church. Church is people. Church is brothers and sisters following Jesus together on mission in the world together. In other words, church is a community. So that's pretty simple, right? Like, all we need to know is church is relationship and church is a community. We have now completed our lesson, right? <laughs> That's all we need to know? No, far from it. That Because that community is both a gift and a challenge. First, the gift. The gift of community. Community is a blessing to us. And I want to just get your feedback a little bit here. Have, so for, for yes or no, have you experienced the gift of genuine community? Have you ever experienced, maybe in a small scale, maybe in a big scale, define it however has been reflective in, in your experience, but have you ever experienced the gift of genuine community, the blessing of genuine community? Would, would somebody want to just share a brief example of that? If not, I got one, but it'd be cool to hear y'all talk too. <laughs> okay, anybody? When we first had been kind of early attending 
TCF, my wife got the flu very badly. And I had started getting prayer chain emails. The, the, and so I just sent one back and said, hey, we're dealing with the flu. We've got four young kids, you know. Pray for us, you know. Pray for me for strength and guidance and keeping the house running and doing all the things that she needs to do. Mm-hmm. And the next thing I knew, I had people showing up with food and helping working on the house. And I mean, <laughs> people I'd met once or twice mm-hmm. here at church. And wow. like, you know, to me, that that's what community speaks to. So. Yeah, that's great. Anybody else? Well, um, I guess 20 years ago, uh, my my wife left the family and me and her faith and and uh, and if it wasn't for community, the church, I'm not talking about any specific church. Mm-hmm. It wasn't we didn't attend TCF at the time. Right. But if it wasn't for the community of believers that surrounded me. It'd just be so much more difficult, mm. and you know, we we had four children, and uh, and just the the teachers that taught them just gathered around them, and uh, I look back at that, and it would have been so much more difficult without the uh, community that yes. surrounded us. Absolutely, I have one that I would like to share. Several years ago. Kimmy and I led a small group, and there's just a particular scene of our whole, and we had several years, and, you know, as if you've been a part of a small group before, um, or just a church as a whole before, like, over the period of a few years, like, there are different people that come into your life in a particular season, and then you move to the next, another season, and there's other people who are integral in your life. Well, there was a particular phase where we were leading a small group, and, um, the, the, there was a guy who was hosting our small group, and I'll, I'll just say, like, um, he wasn't necessarily, the, if you looked at, at him, he wasn't necessarily the, the first person you would think of as the most overtly spiritual guy in the room, um, but was so hospitable, opened up his home. And there was a particular night where we broke out into prayer groups, and there was another guy in the group who was going through a divorce, and he was just broken hearted. He was just absolutely wrecked. And I have this image seared in my mind of the guy who was hosting, wrapping his arms around the guy who was going through a divorce and just weeping with him and praying for him. And that was a sacred moment. I just had to stand back and say, oh God, thank you for letting me be here to witness this holy moment. I could not have planned that. I could just sort of create the environment that it could take place. Um, But the Lord was present that night in his love that was expressed between two people that the rest of us got to benefit from as we also walked through it with that guy. Um, So yeah, community is a blessing to us. One that sometimes, myself included, I take take for granted. Um, So yeah. Community is a blessing. The second thing uh, is just that community is a gift from God himself that he gives to us. Psalm 68 says that God places the lonely in families. And he does that in so many different ways, not the least of which is he puts each of us in a community, in the body of Christ, 
where we have people that gather around us, especially in the hard times. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who I showed you a picture of earlier in his book, Life Together, he says, Christian brotherhood or sisterhood, I would add, is not an ideal which we must realize. It's not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. Christian community is like the Christian sanctification. It is a gift of God which we cannot claim. I think so often when we talk about community, we think of community as the sum total of all of our idealism. So I have this, I I think, well, if we would just, we would do this and that and we plan this and we have these small groups and we have these connection points and community is going to happen. And and, careful planning is important. Uh, Chaos can be very counterproductive to to (laughs) developing genuine community for sure and life in general. But it's important to step back sometimes and remember that the blessing we receive in community with each other is something that God himself has given to us, that he has made possible through the death and resurrection of his son and by the sending and the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2 says, So then, remember that at one time, you Gentiles by birth, called the uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision, a physical uh, circumcision made in the flesh by human hands, Remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in the place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him both of us have access in one spirit to the Father." Now, this passage is talking about the joining together of, the, of, Jewish, of Jews and Gentiles, the, the, the abolition of the wall of separation between Jews and Gentiles. But I think this passage provides us with hope and wisdom for the dividing walls between any sectors or segments of humanity. That in Christ, as he, you know, in his sacrificial death and resurrection, that he um, tears down... Um, the hostility, and he brings us together. The picture that I have is of Jesus on the cross with his arms stretched out, reaching out to one group, whatever that may be, and with one hand, reaching out to the other group, whatever that may be, with the other hand, and bringing them together in love and in unity under the Father and through the power of the Spirit. Community is a gift from God made possible by what Jesus has done for us. It's good to step back and remember that. So that's the gift What about the challenge? Um, The first challenge, and this is by no means an exhaustive list, um, but I want to just get real because we're talking amazing theological insights and beautiful ideals and pictures. But the truth is real life is hard. Real relationships are hard. Love is hard in spite of the way that some people talk about love as being just some 
flowery, frivolous idea. Oh, you're just all about love. And, you know, real love, what real love looks like couldn't be, uh, couldn't be more different than that. Because real love hurts. It's hard work. And so the, the first challenge of community is that it, just real simply, there's no community without other people. <laughs> and <laughs> you can't really have community by yourself. And even I don't even agree with myself on everything. So, <laughs> But when there are people involved, it's messy. Yeah. It's complicated. There are issues. There are challenges. Because all of us bring our faults. All of us bring our own variations of sin and brokenness and insecurities and demands and neediness and all of this stuff we bring to the table. Um, Jean Vanier, in his book, Community and Growth, says this, From the outside, community can seem such a beautiful place of sharing, cooperation, mutual support, and so on. But as soon as we are inside it, we quickly begin to see others' faults. At the beginning, we idealize others. Then as close, then as we get close to them, we begin to see only what is negative. We have to pass through these stages in order to finally meet people as they really are. Neither angels nor demons, but human beings. Beautiful but wounded. A mixture of light and darkness. These are the people with whom we have made a commitment to live and grow together. I think that in human relations there is always a danger of picking and choosing. We enjoy being with certain people. They are interesting, charming, funny, intelligent. They give us life. But little by little the novelty wears off. They begin to reveal other aspects of their characters, sides of themselves that are possessive, aggressive, or depressive, that wound and can provoke anguish. I think that all of us have experienced this in relationship to a certain extent where once the novelty, as he says, wears off, the truth of the hardness of real life kicks in. The second uh, challenge is that we're different. But that's the understatement of the day. <laughs> well, there's a lot of understatements, but we're different. What do you think are some of the ways that we are different from one another? This is a really long list, so you could just pick any of them. <laughs> are we different? How are we different? It could be a simple thing, or it could be a really deep, profound thing. How are we different? Our personalities so, are different. Our personalities are different. Yes. Anybody else? Our, our, our interests are different. We're interested in different things. Yeah. History or our, our backstory. Our history, our backstory. Perspective on things. Our perspective different. is different. Some of us are morning people. <laughs> Some of us are definitely not. Wait, are you that talking can, about <laughs> You know, I'm just here to deliver the message. You let the Holy Spirit work. No, I'm just kidding. We are yeah. exactly the same. <laughs> that, that, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> yes. And that's just with people who live in close proximity to us. Think about the global, like humanity on a large scale, or the global body of Christ. I mean, there's so many things that are different. Different culture, how we were raised. Because what you learn really quickly is kind of how you did things or how your family did things as a kid is not necessarily (laughs) how someone else's family did things. Or if someone does something like to you, it means something very different than if you had done it to them. And so we start interpreting motivations. And we and there is just, it's a recipe for conflict because we're all different. And it's so easy to judge other people who don't think like us, 
who don't talk like us, who don't act like us, or who don't like the things that we like. We make judgments and we say, well, you're just okay, but I got to keep you at a distance. Continuing, Jean Vanier says, this is where all the difficulties of community life begin. Because among the members of a community, or oh, actually, I'm going to skip down. Uh, let's see. These difficulties can lead people to run away from community, to cut themselves off from those whom they find unsettling, to become introverted and refuse to communicate, to, confu- to accuse and condemn others. So there's a lot of difference among us, and yet we have a lot in common. No matter what our differences are, deep down there are some things in which we are the same. What are some of the, the similarities that we share? No matter how different we are, no matter whether we like watching sports or not, uh, no matter whether we are morning people or not, or have very different outlooks on life, what are some of the things that we share in common, do you think? Needs. Needs, yes. What needs, you said? I mean, we all have a need to love and be loved. We have a need to love and be loved. That's right. No matter where you live, in the whole world, no matter what your background was, no matter where you came from, no matter what you believe about God or about community or about um, whatever, we all need to love and be loved. You share that with every other person on this planet and every other person in this church. Um, any, anything else? What are some of the common needs that we have? You say maybe the need to belong? Yeah. We need to belong, you know? That's intention with the need to stand on our own. But we still have that need to belong. Make you feel kind of crazy sometimes. Um, to do something that matters. To do something that matters. Yeah. Okay. What Winky Prattney has a message on uh, that Jesus needed to be needed. You know, mm-hmm. when he when he was when he before he met the woman at the well, he said. I must needs, hmm. you know, like yeah. he had needs, you know, he, yeah. he had this need to minister, and uh, I think we all have needs. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. All right, so so we're different, we all, but yet, yet similar. The third, oops, too far. The third thing is that we all have our own, and now this is a building on the last one a little bit, our ideas and ideals. Very practically speaking, when you come together in the context of a community, probably every one of us in this room has a slightly different take or variation on what it's supposed to look like or how it's supposed to go. So when we come into a community of faith, um, am I the only one in the room who has very strong opinions (laughs) about things? I'm betting not, but I have them. I have opinions about everything. Some of them, a lot of them, very strong. And not just about, and and opinions about how things should be done. What an ideal community looks like. And those things can be huge barriers to jump over, to actually be in relationship with real people, not idealistic, hypothetical people (laughs) who do everything the way that you think they should do them. Or a church that does everything the way that you think that it should do it. Again, Dietrich Bonhoeffer made this statement in in Life Together that really stuck with me. He said, he who loves his dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. 
The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God, by others, and by himself. He enters the community of Christians with his demands, sets up his own law, and judges the brethren and God himself accordingly. That's a hard statement. Now, it's good to have ideals. We don't want to abandon all of our ideals. Um, But if our community and our personal lives and our faith is going to flourish, sometimes we have to trade some of our idealism for reality. We have to trade our, uh, our picture, sort of, our almost utopia vision of Christian community for the rub of ordinary life and real people who hurt us and we hurt them. But it's in that that we grow if we push through that. So we got to, speaking of pushing through, we got to hurry. <laughs> the next one is the community takes time, which most of us have very little of. Does anybody have a whole lot of extra time in your schedule <laughs> that you can just devote to one another? No, we're doing good to just see each other on Sunday mornings um, or to connect with other people. And I'm just going to be honest. Most days, I just want to go home and watch Netflix. You know, I just want to find some show and binge watch it and, you know, uh, hang out with my family and just have it really easy peasy. But community takes time because relationships take time. They don't just happen. Individual relationships don't happen. A community does not just happen. If we're going to flourish in community, we have to cultivate genuine life on life interactions in our, in our real life, not just in our, in our, not that Sunday morning isn't part of our real life, but it's only part of it. Yeah. So in the th- in all of these things that we've talked about, our interests um, outside of these walls, that's where some of, some of our true community begins to develop. The next one, moving quickly, is that community requires vulnerability. Not only do we have to accept other people as they are, we have to have the courage to present ourselves as we are. And in a few weeks, uh, probably about a, a month and a half or so, we're going to talk a lot about vulnerability and what that looks like and how scary that is, but how necessary it is for us to grow, to really be honest and open about ourselves, and to have empathy for one another in a mutual sharing. So community requires vulnerability, and the last one is that Community requires sacrifice. Jean Vanier says, To love, we must die continually to our own ideas, our own susceptibilities, and our own comfort. The path of love is woven in sacrifice. The roots of egoism are deep in our unconscious. Our initial reactions of self-defense, aggression, and the search for personal gratification often grow from them. Paul in Philippians 2 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Community involves sacrifice and requires sacrifice because love itself requires sacrifice. Love is sacrifice. There is no love without sacrifice. And sometimes that means pain. Sometimes that means you open your heart up and you get hurt. And you keep showing up. And you keep opening your heart up. Even if it hurts. Because even though love is painful, love is worth it. And even though we stumble along 
imperfectly in our attempts to love each other, even the people closest to us, we are being led by a shepherd and a savior who has loved us perfectly and who pointed us to a father who so loves the world and who sent us his spirit, as Romans 5 says, through which he has poured his love into our hearts and fills us and cultivates in us his love and peace and patience and joy and gentleness and all the fruit of the Spirit. Love requires sacrifice. Community requires sacrifice. But it's worth it. And it takes a lifetime, but it's worth it. So to wrap things up this morning, we talked about the gift of community real basically, and the challenge of community. And now, as promised, we're going to talk about the chudder. (laughs) I first heard this term comes from an author and teacher named David Dark. And I first heard him use this phrase in a conference I went to several years ago. Um, But he also talks about it in a book that he wrote called Life's Too Short to Pretend You're Not Religious. It's a funny title. It's a funny guy. So rather than giving you my interpretation of it, I'm going to read a little excerpt uh, from this book in talking about what the chother is. He says, I have a concept sacred in my estimation that arose from repeatedly leaving a child alone in front of a television. It's a serendipitous slip of the tongue I gleaned and now treasure from the testimony of my once four-year-old son when he offered a commentary upon an iconic image within the Hanna-Barbera tradition giving voice to his specific love for the antics and escapades of Scooby-Doo and the community with whom he makes his way through a harried world, he once told me that he especially likes the moments in which Scooby and Shaggy get scared to the point of paralysis. If you've ever seen Scooby-Doo, like, you know what he's talking about. In what I suspect is a touchstone in every single episode, though I can't claim to have studied the matter thoroughly, there comes a time when Scooby and Shaggy respond to duress a man in a monster costume, for instance, by leaping into one another's arms and and quivering together for a couple seconds, a precious moment in which it's hard to say where the dog stops and the man begins. They hold each other, we might say, but in his effort to articulate what delighted him so, the child put it much, much better. They hold their chudder. He said, they, they, they're hold, I like it when, when they're holding their chudder. <laughs> the chudder is the fact of the matter. We were never alone. We were all held as babies by others. And we're likely being held in more ways than we can name right now. We can live into and within the awkward feeling fact of others, or we can die denying. Choose the chudder now. The glory of God in us is our dependence. The fact that we can't escape the network of mutuality that makes our eating and breathing and welfare possible. Ecclesiastes, remember, says two are better than one. For if they fall, one will lift up the other. Or if they freak out at a man in a monster costume, (laughs) one will hold the other faithfully in his arms. Or in the words of Bill Withers, lean on me. When you're not strong, I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. I feel like we should be singing this. (laughs) For it won't be long till I'm going to need 
somebody to lean on. It won't be long until I'm going to jump in your arms because I'm freaked out. Or in the words of that Irish proverb, it's in the shelter of each other that we live. In the shelter of the chother we live. So let's close our time together today by centering our hearts through the reading of Scripture and through prayer. And we're going to follow the same pattern as we did when we started. I'll lead and then we'll all read this together. Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. O God, perfect us in love that we may conquer all selfishness and hatred of others. Fill our hearts with your joy and shed abroad in them your peace, which passes understanding, so that those murmurings and disputings to which we are too prone may be overcome, make us long-suffering and gentle, and thus subdue our hastiness and angry tempers, and grant that we may bring forth the blessed fruits of the Spirit to your praise and glory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now let us pray together. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood, as to understand, to be loved, as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. So now, let's go forward from here into worship and into our week to love and serve each other and the world that God so loves. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen. 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 You're dismissed.